Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. This is Dana, and with us we have Blake and Heiko for another story time with Blake and Heiko. In that order. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. When was the last time you put one of them up? Uh, months ago. I don't even know. Really? Okay. So, in as much as a running gag has been the differentiation, the segregation, if you will, between A, B, and C material. because like Segregation is illegal now. Yes. But B material cannot be allowed to drink from the same water fountain as A material. It's just not right. Um, we have a material today. We're going to talk about one of the best campaigns I have ever heard of. This is this is better than Reagan in '79. Neither of us were alive for this. <clears throat> the I mean, campaign or for Reagan in '79? <clears throat> okay. We we colloquially refer it to the monster campaign. The actual title of the campaign was. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Are we taping? That I, can't, was, I can't see the light. That was me saying dot, dot, dot so that you could fill in because I don't remember what the technical name of the campaign was. I wasn't listening. The name of the campaign was Heiko's Unnamed Monster Campaign. Oh, okay. Like, that's how it appears on my CV. So it was a really good campaign, despite lacking a name. Lots of things that don't have names are really good. The artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince. Season 6 of Community. All kinds of things. Season 6 did the previous Confirmed season? on Yahoo! Do the previous seasons of uh, Community not have name or have names? Sure, they do. Dan Harmon season one, Dan Harmon season two, Dan Harmon season three, the season without Dan Harmon, Dan Harmon season four. I accept. Don't watch Community. So this campaign was precipitated on the idea of, hey, we've been playing D and D third edition for a while. Uh, had Savage Species come out? Yes, because I think we were in three five, and the Savage Species was three four. Oh, right, right, right. It was right. real late three zero. Right. So, uh, we were thinking, let's make a campaign where everybody is a monster. The, the rule of character creation, I remember you telling everyone the rule of character creation is you could not be any race that appears in a book whose name starts with, or ends with handbook. And nothing that seemed like a PC race either. Yeah, no one who like, could walk human, through the streets. Human is right out. Elf is right out. Moon elf? Probably right out because it was designed for players to use. So we ain't interested in that noise. Um, we ended up having ten players over the course of the to- of the well, whole campaign. Ten characters. Ten characters, right? Ten characters over the course of the whole campaign, um, which we'll get into a little bit later. But uh, the so this was a thing that I wrote into the novel I was writing about this campaign. I don't remember if this was an actual thing about the guy that. The party was brought together by this Gandalf-like wise man who I think just had a super hard-on for, like, intense weirdos, right? Sure. Was that his thing? Okay. Like, I don't want anybody working for me who is even passably normal. I'm pretty sure his manservant was liquid metal, so let's go with yes. Yeah. Um, the starting party was... The starting? Was, uh, Skrunkdor, the party leader, who was, um... A half bronze dragon or quarter bronze dragon? Well, I think it was brass. Brass, brass, sorry. He was half orc, half brass dragon, which is to say that he took the half dragon template and put it on orc. 
Half-Dragon Template is kind of designed for player use. I mean, it certainly gives you a monster CCL, if memory serves. It's three. Just three levels without hit dice, skills, feats. Yeah. And he was a frontline character. Yeah. But it does give you plus eight strength. And Orc gives you plus four strength. And Skronkdor was a barbarian. Because he's not a dwarf, and he has a whole bunch of barbarian letters in his name. Like SKR. He also um, had fire immunity, which we're going to get into later. And something about the fire immunity made, at least me, I don't know about the other members of the campaign, remember him as though he were red. And even think of him as being half red dragon. But of course, that would have been right out, because red dragons are evil. I know. Like orcs. Orcs are... They're not always evil, they're just very usually evil. Uh, dragons are hard-coded to an alignment. Right. Which meant that somewhat they were, they were somewhat unacceptable for PC races. And that was part of the gimmick of the campaign. You had to be a monster, but you can't be evil. You're still monstrous heroes. Or Skrunkdor. Or whoever Blake is playing. Or <laughs> Pumpkin. We'll get to him later. Um, Sorry. <coughs> uh, Skrunkdor's player's sister... Played a Zenithri cleric named Z. Yeah, for those of you who aren't aware of what a Zenithri is, good. Uh, skip 30 seconds. It's from Monster Manual 2. It's to law what Asimar is to good and Tiefling is to evil. So it's like an, it's like a, the descendant of an elemental outsider from the plane of law, except there are Modron. There, yeah, there aren't really yeah, any... Yeah, that's, that's where it got weird. At the, at the time, we didn't have moderns. The most lawful thing were surlions, sirloins, something like that. Yeah. They were worms creatures. Isn't that formians? Uh, formians were ants. Yeah. Though they do live on Mechanus. I'm not sure that they were the lawful outsider. No, they just... They said it was some unnamed race of lawful dudes, but Zenithri were purple. And, and worms were purple. And bald. Fremorians were not. Modrons were not. I'm just saying. They uh, had a capital city on the... Uh, uh, they had a demiplane named Zenithriopolis where they lived. I just want to point out that the same person named all these things. They were all lawyers or bureaucrats of some type. I, I think one of her languages was bureaucracy. Yeah, I remember that. And it came in useful on more than one occasion. It it was like, it's, Don't worry, guys. I speak bureaucracy. And she just... So, you know, she penetrated the bureaucracy. It was handy. Um, for all the, for all the crap that we give her, uh, that, I think that she played that character pretty, pretty fun. She was a good party member. Yeah, it's hard to play, it was hard to play that character in a fun way and stay true to the character, but she managed it. Mm -hmm. Because it was a character that, like, plus four damage versus fun. Her theme was, uh, stick in the muddedness, uh, lack of creativity, and the color purple. Well, that just makes her the straight man, right? Or woman, or person. She was a fantastic straight yeah. man for Skrunkdor. And that that party needed that party needed a very big straight man because she kind of had to straight man like all of us. Well, that, that, that's the whole point of straight man is that they're the one sane person <laughs> in the party. Laura could kind of be the straight man for some situations. Yeah, Laura. What was her starting character's name? Andrea. Andrea, who was a cat. Nope, a bird. Bird. But I can see where you would get those mixed up because you've never cooked. Um. Birds are okay to cook. Cats are not. Uh, she was a Kenku Entropomancer, which is about forming a tiny little shard of ent uh, entropy, bouncing it around the room, watching it be completely ineffective, and instead just casting spells. I think there's 
Probably a bunch of spells with Entropic in the name in there, too. Nope. Oh. Instead, it just goes on your previous spell casting. Hers was Shugenja? Shugenja? Oh, now I remember You're this. better at linguism than I am. Yeah, we don't know how that's spelled. It's Asianese. I still don't know how it's spelled. With a G. Unless it's a J. Shugenja. Yeah, Shugenja. S-H-U-G-E-N. E-N-A. J-A. J. Yeah, you got it right. Shugenja. Okay. Okay. It's uh, a way to be divine and hurl fireballs. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, Argerok the Swift. Argerok the Quick. Argerok the Quick. Because Swift has a long S in the beginning. Uh, it's one of the you know longer consonants. It's not quick enough to say. He was both fast and sudden. And quick and swift. Argerok was a githzerai because... Matt, if you're listening, you're a great guy. You know you have a problem. We love Matt, but uh, we're going to get in... When we get to his third character in the camp... Or the second. That, yeah, when we get to his second character in the campaign, you'll understand. No one had three characters. Almost everyone had two. Mm-hmm. Unless you survived, or we kicked you out. We're yeah, that. that's it. But, um... The... Oh, wow. I do have that in there. Anyway. The, um... Argerok was a Gitzerai, because Gitzerai had a racial plus four armor bonus. And he played a monk. Who needed the armor bonus. That was that was his reason. But he was... That sounds about right for... Eh? He, um... He also sort of found a way around the monster thing. But in a way that was hilarious. So we allowed it. He passed himself up as a mummy, didn't he? No. <clears throat> not on purpose. Ah, okay. Skrunkor went down the street going, I'm a half-orc, but not a half-orc. Z went, ugh, I'm purple. And Andrea went... I have no discernible personality. But Argerok wrapped himself in bandages to cover his face. He's like, aha, now no one will figure out that I'm a Gitzerai in much the same manner as the Invisible Man. But everyone instead just thought he was the world's swiftest mummy. And this dude was fast. Yeah, he was He was very dexy. I seem to recall him, like, finding ways to use dex for everything. But he was terrible at rolling attack rolls, and that's where we got the phrase flurry blowing. <laughs> I remember the time you uh, tried to poison me after I uh, couldn't stop saying flurry of and then a thing that rhymes with blows. Like flurry of saving throws, flurry of uh, camel toes, flurry of nobody knows. He got better. It's about the poison, not about that. Yeah. The fifth member of the party uh, was inconsequential. <laughs> it was me! It was I. I started off with a mushroom man, because I'm such a fun guy. What are you doing to me? Please stop. <laughs> I'll stop when you deserve it. His name was Verpa, which was short for some Latin fungus science name. Yeah, for the last couple of years, I gave that credit as the only character Blake had whose name wasn't a pun, and I was incorrect. Uh, Verpa was fun because he was made of substitutions of good ideas. Because, uh, there's a wonderful, wonderful book called, uh, The Unearthed Arcana. Not Arcana Unearthed. F that noise. Yeah. And Verpa was like... Monty, if you're listening. Verpa was like every kind of thing from that. He was a druid, which... Uh, Unearthed Arcana had a druid variant called the Druidic Avenger, which... Ditched animal companion, 
and something else nature based. It might have been resist nature's lore. Yeah, or something. To gain um, favored enemy, rage. Right. Rage and fast movement. Rage. Okay, yeah. Which I needed because uh, myconids are inherently slow. They're mushrooms. They're made of roots. You ever played Mario? You ever fought a Goomba? The description of myconids in the Monster Manual 2 is like, they no have Goomba between ones. 1 and 16 legs. Of various sizes. The interesting thing about Verpa, and this was <coughs> interesting to Blake and observers at the table, but not to the other players, was that myconids cannot speak, which in no way limited Blake. Um, <laughs> instead, three times per day, he can run up to you and spray a white substance all over your face. It's and, called communication spores. Sure. And then you are privy to his telepathy for one hour. <laughs> so Mikanid never says anything, unless it's worth spooging all over someone's face to say. <laughs> Verpa did not last long in that campaign, but he died in an extremely hilarious manner. The, the point of the campaign was the players were, the characters, were assembled by a, uh, a man with a Fu Manchu mustache, who did not end up being the campaign villain, I know, right? Uh, to collect nine artifacts, which when combined did a great thing. You said you were talking about uh, allowing the creation of an additional god. No, just the release of the uh, original tenth god. Ah. We went on a very limited pantheon. Right. So adding a tenth god to the pantheon was a big deal. It would increase overall world divinity by 11%. So certain uh, people with mustaches that explain how wizened they are thought this was a bad thing. And the party thought, well, we'll gladly get paid to stop it. So they had to go collect the artifacts first. Uh, what do they do? They... It was like a shield, a gauntlet, a plate vest or something, right? They were all a full set of armor when pieced together. And they all had adorable names. Like the immobilizer was maybe a helmet? I don't know. It was something that could slow people. Uh, One of them was called the Terrible Gauntlets. Because they could cast fear at will with a DC of 11. So they both inflicted terror and were not very good. The party got those early and never used them once. <laughs> yeah, I don't, think we, I don't think we sussed out that we could just sit there and machine gun fear at somebody until they rolled a 1. In fact, you got that in the session where you fought Donkey Kong. Ah. Oh, you know what? I think I remember him. Yep. And Punching mother, us with his hands. And mother brain... Hmm. Uh, a bunch of other guys. This is before we had good minis for all of them. I, I actually remember that fight. It was the it was the Nintendo villains amalgamated fight. We fought a big monkey. We fought a big dark elf guy. Fought a brain in a jar. You fought a brain in the jar on the back of an effigy ogre. Right. Um, Verma <coughs> made it to session four, wherein the party had to defend a temple from demons. Oh yeah, that's right. Because I did the um, I had the. Like sprouting vines. Only in my case, it was sprouting uh, mildew. He could only do it in places where moss would occur. So at one point, he cast Entangle on the bottom of a bridge on which the players were standing. But he couldn't do it in a field. That's yeah. all grass. At the cap, uh, like, like the climactic final battle of that uh, particular little engagement, uh, we ended up fighting a demonic Tyrannosaurus. Or was it a diabolic Tyrannosaurus? I think it was a demon. Okay. Demonosaurus, if you will. Yeah. Um, and Tyrannosauruses like to bite people. Right? Demonosaurus rex. There you go. Verpa had a decanter of endless water. 
And I got this bright idea wherein, because, you know, my character was, like, laughably incompetent in combat and under all circumstances. Mykonids had a big ECL. The party was level 11, and Mykonid cost you 4 or 6. Yeah. Mm. So it was just way worse than everyone. Even. Yeah. Why? Because they have all the immunities? Or? Plant immunities are <laughs> a big deal. Yeah. So is a racial plus 6 to wisdom. So it was a passable druid. Yeah. When he cast Entangle, everybody sat up and took notice, but he could only do it two or three times a day. Because I was a much lower level druid than you were expecting, right? Um, So I had this idea where I was like, I know, I'll get him to swallow me whole, and then I'll open my decanter of endless water in his stomach. I bet that'll give him fits. This is part of the Blake school of, like, D&D happening. Some kind of wacky combo. Um, So he runs over and bites me, and I start, like, trying to get swallowed. The thing is that Verpa can't speak. So he didn't inform the party... I'm going to climb into this guy's gullet and, you know, emit a different kind of liquid all over his insides. So the party cleric saw, oh no, our druid, I think, is getting eaten. I'll solve that. Command on the uh, Tyrannosaurus. I command you to drop what you are holding. So the Tyrannosaurus is like, all right, I guess I'm not trying to swallow this guy. And I mean, started trying to cough him out. He, he, was a car- he was a carnivore and I was a plant. So in many ways it was appropriate. Um, but I, on the other hand, didn't want to get loose, so I was making grapple checks to try to crawl down his throat in, like, a super, like, disturbing, squicky way. And just so we're clear, the druid made of, uh, what are, what is fungi made out of? Fungus. Flesh is the word they use to describe, like... Yeah, but I mean, like... It's fibrous tissue, it's just... I'm thinking, like, chlorophyll. That's plants. plants. Okay. Uh, you were made of that, and the Tyrannosaurus was gargantuan and made of strength score. So you lost every grapple check. But every successful grapple check caused a bite attack. And it's hard to miss when a guy is between your teeth. He's not going to bite his tongue. I ended up getting chewed to death and then spat out. Yeah, he still didn't swallow you. (laughs) He's a carnivore. And that was where Verpa died. And Blake learned not a thing. (laughs) Came back with a better character. Came back with a character. Possibly the best character. Came back with the third greatest character Blake played that campaign. (laughs) Do tell. Arnold the Robot! This was actually the second time I played Arnold the Robot. The first one was in an epic campaign. I think we might have read that up in a story time earlier. Laura was in that campaign, too, with her beautiful silver-haired moth boy. The, um... Yeah, this was a character Blake had previously played at level 21, now at level 12. Was he all the way up at 12? Well, like the party was level 12. Yeah. Here's the thing. Arnold's a nimble right. A nimble right is a... Another wonderful, wonderful monster from the glorious and immortal Monster Manual 2. I think Monster Manual 2, man. <laughs> a nimble right is like a golem, but it has intelligence, free will, uh, rapier swords... Built into its arms. And the ability to disguise itself. It's, oh. it's an assassin golem. Yeah. The idea is that they sneak up to people, uh, murder someone close to the king, assume that person's identity, hang out next to the king for a little while, and then suddenly they're like, oh, hey, look, I have the rapier equivalent of great swords in each hand. Stabity, stab, stab, and you're like a level 10, or you're like a level 4 noble. Not very much HP there. Away! That, that's a very important distinction, because this is a monster designed to go somewhere by itself, sit there for a long amount of time, 
do something against somebody low level, and then flee before anybody is the wiser in a campaign party with a half-orc barbarian. We also did had to do some crazy science using the uh, the uh, savage species reverse engineering the level adjustment of a monster. That was that was pretty exciting. Yeah, a nimble ride is a level sixteen monster. Blake was level twelve, so we had to play seventy five percent of a nimble ride and slowly get that number up to one hundred percent before he could be a fighter. I still have the uh, the graph we made, like showing what each level of nimble ride uh, gets you. Yeah. yeah. It was funny though because when we finally, I think that that level ended, that that campaign ended at level eighteen. I think so. Yeah, because when I finally grow into a full fledged nimble right, I qualified for a prestige class right out of the gate, <laughs> except for race. It was a prestige class limited to humans and doppelgangers. But screw that. I got special dispensation. <laughs> well, yeah, you're effectively a creature that's supposed to do both of those jobs. Yeah, right. You're a chameleon. The name of the class is Chameleon. So anyway, Arnold... Uh, Although I guess you couldn't get the tattoo. Arnold was part of a lot of funny stories, uh, partially because, so you know, Verpa died, the party got the artifact, they went back to Nelthar and said, hey, we lost our uh, whatever the hell that was. And he's like, ah, I have a new guy for you. And then, you know, I came sauntering in, and I think I was a lizard man first, right? Okay. Yeah, because... Uh, Having the ability to be any humanoid creature at will, I was damn sure not going to let anybody know I was actually a construct. Least of all these four goofy strangers I was just getting introduced to. So they were pretty goofy. I I did the I did what is now unthinkable and uh, was living a constant lie to the rest of the party about what exactly my race was. The hilarious thing about it is and class. Yes, race and class lying to the character all the time. The players knew. But the characters were none the wiser. Because none of them had an insight check that could come anywhere close. I think I had 20 points on most of them. <laughs> Nearly 15 on Argerok. <laughs> yep. And I remember Argerok's player coming up to me and saying, I should take ranks in sense motive. Like, to specifically subvert one of the other PC's builds. He said, I just feel like if he's lying to us so easily, doesn't that mean a lot of bad guys can lie to us easily? I said, that's a cunning argument. No. But he would, Arnold would do really, really subversive things, like change genders. And then everyone was like, weren't you a boy earlier? And then he would, she would say, no, been a girl all along. That's sexist. <laughs> and just bluff check all of their pants off. And then be like, okay, I guess we have to acknowledge that. I was a lizard man all, I was a dwarf all along. I'm a rogue. I'm a wizard. I'm a barbarian. And I have been all along. The only constants was that he had some ability to do magic, and he had certain wards up all the time. For example, his incredibly high spell resistance. And that's why the cleric could never heal him. Because he would never bring it down. Because the first time the cleric tried to heal the robot and realized, you don't have any organs knitting back together. What's up with that? Yeah, so I was like, no, 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 I'm just really paranoid about dropping my spell resistance. Also, run away like a flailing coward whenever we get into trouble. And just so we're clear, that facade lasted for 15 sessions. That's awesome. The campaign was only 33 sessions. Um, so in other words, you, you did keep this from the other players. It was just you and Hycove that knew that this was... No, 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 no. Players knew. The characters, characters did. Yep. Good, good. The, the, and, the char- and the characters... Awesome. The players played that to the hilt. They loved it. Oh, yeah. We had, we had a lot of fun with that. One of the neat things about Arnold was that being a construct, he had all kinds of... Like, I, I am just a super whore for 
abusing... No, you can stop. ...construct immunities. So, for example, the lack of a need to sleep. I was like, don't worry, guys. I don't need to sleep. Why not? Well, I'm an elf. I warned you it was all along. And don't then, elves have to sleep in this edition? I'm a different kind of elf. I'm a moon elf. We like moons. I did a ritual. A permanency not having to sleep. It's I, a spell. Shut up. I'm a Keith Moon elf. <laughs> <clears throat> so, you know, and while the rest of the party was sleeping, I would get various nimble right business done, like, you know, repairing myself. Every once in a while, he actually did have to pretend to sleep, and he tended to sleep by playing an 8-track in the 8-track player in his chest of snoring noises. <laughs> snore, 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 snore. Boy, I sure do love sleeping with my organic human body so that I can recharge the energy spent during the day. If you guys still buy this, flip the tape to side B. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one time we were like, hey, since I don't have to sleep, I'll take this NPC that we've defeated and taken alive to jail overnight while the rest of you guys rest. And they're like, sure, okay, that sounds reasonable. Took him behind a rock, slit his throat. I just waited there for the rest <laughs> they of the just, day. They just sat around for eight hours. Uh, but the thing is that Arnold joining the party, the session Arnold joined the party, wasn't the most interesting thing to happen, because then I killed my wife. The first of many. Um, actually, I guess I killed my wife, then I killed my wife, then I ripped her soul out of her body. So, Laura plays in his campaigns. We get along great. Uh, we'd better. They're very in love. I tried... To make her survive. A no. frost worm exploded. They have death throws. Yeah. Just, uh, 30d, 4,000, uh, dice of damage to everybody in a radius. So we said, okay, you're at, like, four hit points, but you're in the back. There are a whole bunch of NPC nubs in between. You know, you're outside of the radius. Things should get less scary. You should get farther away. So we're going to reduce the damage. We're going to increase the... the we're going to decrease reduce the, the DC. The DC by two for every NPC the it's spikes have to pierce through to get to you. She still rolled a two. And died. And that was the end of Andrea the Entropomancer. Who died as she lived. Not doing much. Enter Katri, the Yuan T. Was she actually a sorcerer? Now we're not allowed to say Yuan T, because that's copyright Wizards of the Coast. But But we can say Wizards of the Coast copyrighted snake person race. Also, beholder, beholder, beholder. I'm going to keep saying Yuanti. <laughs> she was not a sorcerer, a lick. She was a ranger. Right, okay. With crazy used magic device and a crossbow with wands in it. So she would point a crossbow at someone, fire an orb spell, which is just 15 dice of damage, but very, very expensive. That that wand, uh, that wand <laughs> spell flaring crossbow was from the Arms and Equipment Guide, if memory serves. It has a neat little poorly drawn diagram in it. No offense to the artist, it's not... It's just not up to the standard of D&D. I couldn't do better. It was one of the black and white splat but books in 3-0. The idea is that they do monstrous damage and are touch, and are touch uh, yep. attacks. And have a secondary rider effect with a save. Damage doesn't have a save. Yeah. But it meant that she was a big deal because she was not very uh, strong. She was pretty squishy. So she got a lot of aggro. And she actually was pretty good at hiding, too. I think she had disguise checks, or she might have had a racial... Uh, you want to have a racial bonus to appear human. Now, for those of you paying attention at home, the party started with uh, three people who were not hiding their monstrousness at all, and two that were doing... No, four who were not hiding it at all, and one that was doing it poorly. Two of the people who weren't hiding it at all died, and replaced with two people who were very, very good at hiding it. 
So I like to think the players learned something. <laughs> we were able to move around among uh, civilized folk without too much trouble. I mean, if somebody had a problem with, with uh, Z, she'd just be like, I have a medical condition. And if somebody had a problem with Skrunktor, he'd be like... He'd be with their house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, let's see here now. What happened after that? Uh, that was when you guys fought Donkey Kong. Oh, then you met the campaign villain. Ah, yes. Tirkosa, master of the voice and lord of that which creeps in the night. I will never forget that uh, epithet. To put that into context, the character's name was Tricosa, but I misread it the first time I said it out loud, so it changed. <laughs> and that set the stage for the rest of the campaign. <laughs> he was a witch knife vampire lord, which meant he could come out in sunlight. And if you fought him at night, just stop. He had an aura of wisdom drain. Arnold could have fought him. End of list. Witch knife is a, uh... I, I, well, the mini we used for him was a trollkin from, uh... What? The mini we used for him was a witch knife. Well, yes, but the mini that I made for him later, so I, so I can yep. explain to people what the hell a witch knife looked like, um, was a trollkin from uh, Hordes. If you don't know what that is, it's basically a big frog guy. Only a witch knife is a little frog guy. Yeah, they, they're about five feet tall. They're smaller than I am. I can't say that about my pets. They're still medium, though, right? Yes. Yeah, the campaign villain was the shortest person... The shortest named character in the campaign at this point. <laughs> was he shorter than, uh... Wasn't named yet. Okay. Andrea was right about there, but Andrea was dead. Right. So, and then, that was around when Arnold started proccing. Well, I, I gotta talk about, you see, we Tircosa was introduced to us long before we met him. One session. Nelthar explained to us, is like, okay, the reason I'm having you guys collect all these artifacts is because there's this, you know, vampire lord witch knife guy running around. And he's super duper scary, um, and this is his name. And I was sitting there, like, you know, at the end of the table, running fun and games at the same time. This was the campaign where I was also the clerk for the store continuously during every session. If a customer came in, I had to get up. Which worked out pretty well, because if Arnold didn't take his turn, we just assumed he was somewhere. Uh, and I just wasn't really paying attention, so I was like, uh, Master, uh, uh, Lord of That Which Creeps in the Night, got it. So he really likes bugs. This guy's <laughs> probably going to have swarms of insects attack us. So I was like, okay, if we might run into this guy, I need to go to the shop. Went to a magic shop, and I was like, I know exactly what I want to deal with insects. I want an insect bane gnome calculus. <laughs> For those of you who are sane, a known calculus is uh, non-Euclidean, and also, it's really just a sling designed to hurl flasks. Like a flask of acid, or a flask of alchemist fire. Uh, and, which, you know, have our, our weapons that just have their own throne range built in, but the, the, the calculus increases the range precipitously. Like, to 50 feet instead of 5. I think it's like 100 feet, actually. It's, Jeez. like, really long. <clears throat> Unfairly long, really. But uh, the, the mechanic I was exploiting here, uh, this is a bit of a running gag in this campaign, I suppose, uh, was that yeah, this when, campaign. when you throw the flask, it does like D6 acid damage to the thing you hit, and one acid damage to each creature in each square surrounding that square, for a total of D6 plus 8 acid damage over the course of 9 squares. If the weapon also has the Bane enchantment, and it happens to be dealing damage to a thing of that creature type, it does a further 2d6 to each square. Rare. Yep, and, and swarms cover area. Swarm take a damage for take damage separately for each square to represent 
the fact that it's a swarm, so Aria works better on it. Is that not really a rule? No. Okay. But it was hilarious enough. Right. Um, I was willing to allow it, knowing exactly how many swarms I was planning on throwing at the party. It was zero. It was. <laughs> I kept running around being like, is it an insect? Is it an insect? Aww. Somewhere along the lane, you managed to get yourself a gnome bane known calculus, too. Uh, that was not... I think that was the third gnome calculus, like, bane gnome calculus I got. Yeah. This is, this is a thing. I kept going back to the same shop and being like, <laughs> I need a new bane gnome calculus. Make me a new one for a different time. It's really cheap. It's a plus one enchantment. So it was like a 2,000 gold. 8,000. You eight, still need it to be plus one. Right, yeah. It was like, it was an 8,000 gold magic item. And at a certain point, the economy gets to the point where I'm like, yeah, we could just buy these. So I just had a gnome calculus for every occasion. <laughs> I'm sure I had a demon bane gnome calculus. Yes. Definitely, and we'll discuss that later. Um, Can I ask a question? Please. Um, his purchasing of the gnome calculus did not at all encourage you to put a swarm or two at some point of bugs in the game. He, The campaign villain had the ability to conjure swarms. I was expecting to throw swarms at the party when, perhaps, they were chasing the villain and he was trying to delay them or something, because it's just it wasn't viable in combat. It was take a round where I could kill a guy and instead conjure a wolf. Just not valid. But they never got into that situation. Either they were far ahead of the um, of the villain or vice versa. There wasn't a, uh, any interactions they had tended to be antagonistic but not belligerent. Gotcha. In addition... I, would, I didn't particularly mind the gnome calculus never actually working. He just liked saying gnome calculus. It was also really funny. <laughs> like, it was fun. That was a fun situation to laugh at my own character. Yeah, if he act, if at one point he said, is it an insect? And I said, yes. He would have gone, oh, actually, that's a story too. I don't remember that story. Exactly. So, let's see. You got the gnome calculus. You met the villain. Right. Yeah. And then I ran away. Yeah, the villain appeared outside the dungeon Saying, thanks for getting me that artifact, guys. I'll take it from you. In, you know, a typical villain fashion. And Arnold went, nah, and ran. So the villain went, uh, okay, and flew after him. Arnold doesn't get tired. Arnold can run for days. And Arnold is very, very fast. I think he had a base movement speed of 60 feet. And then he could cast haste at will. Or maybe he didn't have haste at will yet. I didn't have haste at will yet at that point, but I damn sure cast haste that time. Yep. I was like, ah, yeah, I'm going to beat feet and get ahead of this guy. Here's the thing. The Vampire Lord was undead. They also don't <laughs> They ran for like a day and a half. Didn't he fly? Yup. Yeah, he just flew after me. At appreciable speed, not enough to catch you, but not so slow that you could outdistance him either. Right. I, I think that he was, he, he could pace me and he was talking to me. He was like, you know, I can keep this up all day. We're in the middle of a desert. You can't possibly hope to... You know, perpetuate this. By the way, because I'm a High Cove bad guy, I totally know that you're a nimble right and all of your childhood weaknesses and fears. So don't even worry about trying to deceive me. I'm pretty sure I didn't know that about you because you were new. Ah, okay. He hadn't been, um, you know, watching you like he had been watching the rest of the party. Uh, but what it was... And even if he had been watching you, you're lying to the camera. What he couldn't do, though, was catch up with me Stop, take a standard action to do something to me, and hope to do it again anytime soon, because I would get so far ahead of him that it would take him a long time to catch up again. So he just was pacing me, saying, hey, bro, we can do this all day. I was like, oh yeah? And so I found a sandstorm, and ran into it. You lost him. 
Two weeks later, the party dug me out. <laughs> the best part, though, the best part about that story is that I never actually had the artifact he was trying to steal. Nope. You had <laughs> that you had it. No. I just ran. <laughs> he assumed he had it. Like, yeah. that guy's running. All right. Meanwhile, the party went... <laughs> well, we're going to go back to the museum, return the artifact to the secure case. Maybe go to Hawaii for a week. Yeah, take a nice vacation. The museum is vampire proof. Get a manicure. Well, Nelthar was the curator of the museum, and Nelthar was the backup campaign villain. If it turned out the party had gone rogue or whatever... I had a Great Worm Steel Dragon in my back pocket. Yeah. Fair enough. And had all along. That was so cool. So the first time we meet this guy, if you, the steel, what's the steel dragon from? Fiendfolio? Uh, golly, I think it's a website exclusive. Oh, okay. So the steel dragon's thing. There are only two dragons that like humans, steel and prismatic. So That's, that's from the Epic Level Handbook. Steel dragons like to transmute themselves, or uh, polymorph themselves into humans so they can <laughs> hang out among human civilization. But they can't resist leaving some little visual hint. They just, they want to be able to, when they turn into a dragon later, see like, didn't you notice my sneaky little visual hint? And then, you know... I was covered in scales. I was 30 feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> this guy had steel teeth. And the first time we met him, he was like, man, he got some weird... Uh, the the of described <laughs> him to us. He's like, and he's got, and you know, and he, and he has these like slate gray teeth. Like, you know, just bad, people with bad teeth, right? And then just let it lie and, like, you know, never called attention to it again. After that campaign was over, when I was deciding to write a novel about this campaign, I come to him and was like, tell me a little bit about Nalthar's Rail. I was like, well, he was a steel dragon polymorphed into a human. And he never told us. It was awesome. awesome. It wasn't relevant, so I didn't follow that arc. I learned from the Hyrule campaign. Don't follow an arc if you don't plan on finishing it. Yeah. But knowing that in hindsight just made it so much cooler to me because he really was terrifying. It was like, if somebody came to his museum with bad intentions, they were going to get every inch of a great worm, special color dragon. Like, you know, oh crap. shiny. He had high EVs. I have to write a new kind of dragon. I better make sure he can kick all the other dragon's asses so the other monster manual book writers respect me. I think he was only about CR 18. Oh, okay. But the campaign started at 10, and the final boss was CR 15. Because I planned on it to be a two-semester campaign. Mm-hmm. This is a campaign that had discs. We, we, it was Final Fantasy VII, uh, was, I, I want to say, the inspiration. Another three-disc game. I tried to play it. I couldn't deal with it. Well, three-act is, is a common, how to put it. This wasn't three-act. It was three discs. Mm-hmm. There's a distinct implication, but I'm not sure what it is. I'm like, you can get yourself a Disc 1 nuke that will uh, blow through the beginning of the campaign. And it there's was a entangled. Dis- yeah. There's discrete, there's discrete yep. uh, increase in threat and power right. and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, yeah, 3 act, I, to be honest with you, I think 3 act applies more to... I used to apply 3 act a lot to indie games, but they were designed to be, like, short-run, like, 5 to 10 session. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like a miniseries. Yeah, this was more like... Ten sessions a disc. Yeah. Was the um was the arrow demon the end of the first disc or the beginning no. of the second? Right. No, that was the that was the end of the second. The end of the first disc was when you guys fought what would inevitably become your ongoing shonen style counterpart party, which ah. was the linear guild from the Order of the Stick webcomic. Right. <laughs> I remember that. Who I just just so that we're dating this. Uh, this session ran uh, December 4th, 2005, when Order of the Sick was a thing. 
I think they're still making new ones. Probably, mm-hmm. but I, it's a webcomic, so I, it's a webcomic that's not Saturday morning breakfast cereal, so I'm not reading it. The hardcover, or the, the hard copy books uh, sold well at Fun and Games for a time. But the party fought those six guys, slightly lower level, to make it fair. On That was the first time I experimented with 3D terrain. I grabbed some of the Warhammer terrain, those jagged cliffs. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we brought out one of the tape measures to figure out appropriate ranges, because we were living in a world with Euclid. Yeah. third, Good old third edition. It came down to two people left, and the the leader of the Linear Guild, Nail, uh, the other person wanted to surrender, so he turned, magic missiled her in the back of the head, said, I surrender, now you have to take me back to jail. And that was the guy where Arnold took him behind a rock and slid his throat and came back eight hours later. later yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh... Oh, and then there was the bonus session. What was the bonus session? December 11th was during exams. So I planned no session. I figured everybody would be doing exams. Because I figured everybody was student. Laughable. Uh, but everybody said that they uh, could meet just fine, and I actually was light enough on exams at that point that I could design a session. So, between the end of Disc 1 and the beginning of the Disc... The beginning of Disc 2, Nelthazarail sent the party on a mission to destroy a gold piece golem. Ah. The the joke here was that um, every time Hykov started to describe a new monster, it's like, you come around a corner... And leering down at you is some kind of... And Sam would always cut him off and say, is it a gold piece golem? Sam was was scrunctor. He definitely wanted to fight him a gold piece golem. It was all he wanted out of life. So I gave him <laughs> a gold piece golem. Again, from the D&D website. It had, like, gold piece tentacles and such. It was actually really terrifying because it was basically a monster made of tiny razor blades. Uh, bludgeoning razor blades. Oh, they were bludgeoning? Yeah, crazy. Like, that's not better. You sure it didn't? slashing? Nope. Well, I, either way, I was hiding behind a wall. The, um... Yeah, that's where it got good. Strunktor immediately ran up, cleaved this thing through, and I said, as you deal damage, you destroy some of the gold pieces. And the guy just put his hair... No, his hands, hands on his head. in his hair, like, pulling it back, eyes wide. It was like a Christopher Lloyd impression. What am I gonna do? I can't have its gold if I don't kill it, but if I kill it, I'll destroy its gold! At that point, Arnold ran behind a wall, took his rapier hand, set it to drill mode. Yeah, I was just... Drilled a hole, uh, like a bit, through a wall, took a vial of acid, put it up against that, and popped it through that hole to deal 1d6 damage to that creature. It took three turns. <laughs> that was all I did to that turn. He was not willing to be in melee with a golem. Yeah. He knows how scary golems are. He's like, geez, that's a guy I can't crit or trip, and I am a crit-trip machine. (laughs) Literally a machine made of critting and tripping and lying. You can't lie to a golem, I would know. (laughs) (laughs) It was great, too, because I was like, I was like, ah, take this, bro. Whoop. Two acid. And then the golem was like, oh, let me move away from this wall. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, that's it for me. I feel like we were in kind of like a head, like a maze-like thing because it wasn't just I wasn't just on the other side of a single wall. I was like down a dead end of the maze 
Then I figured out the part that would border where the guy was and drilled through the wall. You still got like eighty thousand bucks when it was all said and done. Oh no, no, I was I was perfectly happy to accept my share of the loot. <laughs> but it took like a week to get out there and come back. As soon as you came back, the patron said, "Where have you guys been? Uh, that mission you sent us on? Well, stop it. For the following reasons, every single one of you is now in mortal danger." And he uh, gave each of them an arc, and then we broke for winter. It was neat. It was we all we each had our own plot hook, and then when we got when we came back, we got to uh, decide which way we were going to go. Um, I need, however, to so, so was the was the three window entrance um, Argerox thing. This is we don't know where this story happened in the notes because we cobbled together the session um, progression. After the campaign was over, like, I think a year after the campaign was over, because I think I did this during the time skip. Mm-hmm. So, as you may know, dear uh, meaningless cog in an empty, indefatigable void of existence, I don't like my players, and they don't like me, especially Blake. And I represent this through the DM wrath list. Whenever somebody does something that I feel needs to be punished at the table as a player, I punish the character. Usually this is a pun. It's a D hundred uh, list with a bunch of fascinating creative uh, uh, results on it, uh, like, like your... you disgorge an entire human skeleton, or your hair turns to, turns to porcelain. Was that after the wrath list update? Or your skin changes color. Roll D four. Blue, green, purple, tie dye. Yeah, um, I think there was a gender swap in there. Probably. It was uh, like ninety nine. It was high. Can't refer to yourself by pronouns. Can only speak in song lyrics. Song titles. Song titles, yeah. Um, can only speak at a, at a, at a, like, your maximum shouting volume. No internal monologue. The point is that I punish puns because, you know, pun is in punish. It's right there. He would pun and pick a pocket. Matt was really good at them. Yep. Matt is, as an English major, he's still really good at puns. He just, thinks on, he has an appreciation for English that most people do not, and he has the brain to put it together quickly. Uh, but any sufficiently good groaner got himself a wrath, and they went away when we forgot about them or when they stopped being funny. But when he was on a roll, he could get a whole bunch of wraths at once. One time, he had three wraths simultaneously, and I think it was during a murder mystery camp, uh, session. Which is what made me think maybe it, because he was on trial for murder, right? But this was a different murder mystery. This was a murder mystery you guys did not solve. Right. You pieced together the clues, decided you couldn't figure it out, and left town. Wrath number one. You must announce yourself every time you enter a room, which was a real bummer for a stealth-based character. He often liked to, uh, sneak, like, we would go in through the front door and introduce ourselves to whoever we're talking to. Argerok would sneak in, like, and be hanging from the rafters so that if shit got real, we had a guy in our back pocket, you know, that the other side didn't know about. Wrath number two. You are not allowed to enter a room via a door. (laughs) Not that big an idea, big a deal for Argerok. I mean, he was loath to enter a room through a door in the first place. Yes. In Civilization. In dungeons, he had to create entrances. Yep, punch a hole in the wall, uh, punch a hole in the roof. It could get difficult. Which leads us to wrath number three. Whenever you enter a room, you have a 50% chance of leaving. Immediately. <laughs> As part of the same action. Yeah, you just roll a, roll a d20. High, you get to stay. Low, you must leave the room. So, at one point, he worked his way into a museum 
a bank. It was a, a sanctimonious location. Of some yeah, kind. someplace with super serial guys. <laughs> and but his stealth was bananas. His stealth was so bananas they were plantains. No matter what you did, he blew it away, like um, like Arnold's bluff checks. Right. So at one point, the you just imagine two guards sitting there at the room. Then you hear glass shattering, and you hear, It is I, Argerok the Quick! Then glass shattering, It is I, Argerok the Quick! Then glass shattering, It is I, Argerok the Quick! And then it stops. <laughs> it took him three tries to get into that room. But he did, and the guards never found him. He might have stealthed so hard that the glass got put back. Burst through the same glass window three times. <laughs> Uh, there were, there and at were, that point, it stopped being funny and he was cured of those wraths. How are we going to top that? Yeah. Uh, Arnold was uh, suffering wraths a lot as well. I wasn't so much good at coming up with the groaner puns as I... What what got me punished so much? I definitely got punished a lot. Mostly misogyny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the best part about Arnold was that so many of the wraths he was somehow inherently immune to. Like, one of them was like, uh, you... You, your 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 stomach imme- or your lungs immediately become filled with water. That was a really cruel one. I was like, oh, open chest cavity like a bender. Water drains out. Your body fills with straw. Save that for later. Yeah. Your hair turns to turns to porcelain. Shing. Cool. Now I have an awesome porcelain helmet. I'm gonna sell this. Uh, you. Whenever sleeping, you appear dead. That was the best one. I was like, well, I'm never sleeping. <laughs> but when I'm pretending to sleep, I immediately transmute into a skeleton. <laughs> Which is what happened when Skrunktor got the wrath. You immediately disgorge a complete human skeleton. <laughs> yeah, so Skrunktor was like, Bleh! the whole skeleton came out of his mouth, and then Arnold got up and was like, what I missed? <laughs> Why were you hiding inside Skrunktor's mouth? Because I could. I've been there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, you know, that was... Uh... The wrath list made a lot of the magic moments of that campaign happen. The um, the time I got disgorged as a human skeleton was when we were meeting up with uh, Slagon the Unfortunate. Slagon the Unfortunate appears in every campaign I run, in some capacity, except for my first campaign. For the same reason Chocobos aren't in Final Fantasy 1. Uh, he's always a goblin, in varying capacities. Sometimes he's the leader of a world-spanning diabolical organization. Sometimes he's just an incredibly hapless mini-blin. This time, he was a member of a former party of monsters... Who had worked for Nelthar. ...that included the campaign villain. They'd all been cursed in some way. His curse was that he got changed into a CR-16 creature. Oh, no. <laughs> he was a horned devil? Probably. A cornagon. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were going to see him, like, because Nelthar had sent us there. To go ask him about the whereabouts of one of the artifacts, maybe? Maybe to piece together something you could use to fight Tirkosa. Oh, that, that you was... You also went to see that Darrow in an assail asylum, which was a lot of fun to play. Yeah. Mm. Darrow are the ones that transform into large dwarves. And they might as well have been naked Minotaur. Who was not a skeleton. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you, the only uh, mini we had for Minotaurs for a while was a Minotaur skeleton. And so that skeleton, like, stood in for... Minotaurs on a number of occasions, and it's always tough for me to remember if a Minotaur character was actually a Minotaur or was a Minotaur skeleton. Yeah, this was before we had live game screen, so we didn't have a good uh, portrait that you can show your players. Yeah. <laughs> the um, free or best offer. <laughs> the uh, 
when we met Sligan, it was part of Haikov taking us on a masterfully orchestrated tour of meeting our shonen, uh, like, rival bad guys. Oh, jeez, these. Argerok's bad guy was easy. It was his former mentor. Mm-hmm. But midway through disc two, something happened to Argerok. So it was no longer relevant. So I had to scramble to come up with one. In fact, that was a running gag. Yeah, a running gag of the campaign was Heiko specially designing a thing with a single player's name on it. It's like, I made this special magic weapon just for you to get with a with a personal arc that the rest of the party will go on because they love you. And you'll come together as a team for it as you each do this one thing. I made this special bad guy just for you. And he's got backstory that like connects you with him and gives the struggle meaning. And then we were like, table flip! This, uh, I guess that's spoilers for later in the arc. Mm-hmm. We can go over that later. But one of the early ones that is not a spoiler was Luzruk, orc warlord, leader of a giant army. And this was a fantastic crowning moment of awesome for most of the party. As Skronkdor went toe-to-toe with the orc warlord, his uh, evil villain, and killed him. Like, oh no. <laughs> dead, dead, but dead. <laughs> At the same time... We're supposed to come back later. This was... They got up to the Orc Warlord by befriending the army. They offered to join. I turned myself into an Orc so that, you know, now the party's got two Orcs and we're like, Oh yes, we's be Orcs! That guy in the bandages, also an Orc somehow. Why do you have a pirate accent then? Shut up. All Orcs do, and they have all along. I remember I... I- no, that's right. I made, like, some incredibly botch bluff check where you were like, you can sneak this by him, but you're going to have to keep it real believable. So I was like, uh, uh, I'm the mage. And he did magey things, too. This was, this was silly. He said, we're going to offer to help the orcs build siege weapons, but I want to build them sabotaged siege weapons. Mm-hmm. I want to, uh... Give them catapults that will break immediately. I want to uh, have ballistas that, that, will, that will irradiate them. <laughs> I want to give them mandolins that they think are mangonels. Things like that. Uh, I, one of those is a fruit. We go up there and he's like, roll an engineering check. I'm like, ooh, I'm not even trained in that. Clatter, clatter, clatter. Other members of the party offered to help. I think Argerok helped. He's like, hey, I'm a smart guy. Clatter, clatter, clatter. Hmm. We seem to have all rolled natural ones. He rolled a negative three. So they got a total, um, they got a total engineering check of a Mr. Yuck. (laughs) And I said, alright, let's roll 1d100 to just see how bad things are. And they rolled a natural 100. Like, oh, here's the problem. So you're a mage, right? Mm -hmm. You have all kinds of weird magical energies flying around. So you tried to sabotage a siege weapon. Instead, you accidentally used your magical energies to create the greatest siege weapon you could have ever heard of. You've created a juggernaut. Also Monster Manual 2, or is it Fiendfolia? No, it's Monster Manual 2. Yeah. A Juggernaut is a steamroller with arms and force powers. Yeah, it has, like, basically every spell that uses force. Magic Missile, Force Wall... You uh, may remember this from when we discussed Train Rex yeah. during the um, the Delve Knight games. Yeah. So we accidentally made the most terrifying siege engine possible. Um, and gave it to the enemies. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. They were super happy. But, you know, you guys got in real good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that got you a meeting with the boss. And then I guess Skrunkdor challenged him for command of the army, right? Sure. Because orcs can just do that. Like, orcs can just be like, hey, let's fight to the death for all our worldly possessions. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, we're orcs. 
At which point the guy probably went, all right, but what are we going to do with the rest of the crew? They can fight my top lieutenants. And that's when the mountain troll showed up. Mm-hmm. And the mountain troll decided to go for the mage. He's like, hey, I'm a troll. I love eating mages. He probably knows fire, and fire bad. <laughs> so I was like, uh-oh. I think that he punched Z. I knew how much damage he dealt. I know that much. Yep. It might have just been because I had new things from the monster manual, but I was like, carry the two. I can't live. If he touches me, that is my max HP in his strength bonus. <laughs> but he couldn't just flee. Luckily, he was super fast. So what he did was he ran to the maximum range of, I want to say, his gnome calculus, chucked a flask of alchemist fire at the troll, and, beats ke- regen. and kept doing that until the troll was close enough to melee, and then he ran. And using this, he kited him across Montgomery County. <laughs> Ran all the way right away, because at one point, something bad happened. You had me, like, trip or something like that, and the, and the troll caught me, and I was like, frick, frick, frick. Well, guess what I happen to have on me? That thing that every wacky character makes sure he carries with him, a bag of fire bead necklaces. Just a whole bunch of bead necklaces in a bag. So I hit him with it. And my spell resistance is bonkers. Yeah. And it, it damn sure needed to be, too, because I had a... Terrifying. No, that's right. I had a terrifying fire immunity, so I also yep. wore that thing. There's like a necklace well, or something. Brooch of fire resistance? Yeah. An octopus amulet. Yeah, yeah. Because Nimble writes, golems tend to have spells that penetrate their spell resistance, and some give them a bonus, some give them a penalty. Everything for a Nimble Rite is a penalty, and those everything are cold and fire. Yeah. If cold beats a Nimble Rite spell resistance, they're slowed. For three rounds. If... Fire beats a number right spell resistance, they're dazed. I think it was... It, dazed it, it, was no action. Right, yeah. If Arnold stuck his hand into a campfire, it would burn him down for one damage per round until he was just a heap of slag. Because I was paralyzed. I could not move. Fire was real, real bad for me. So, knowing this, I was like, man, I cannot knowing have this Knowing this, I carried a ton of fireballs. Well, I, I can't... Well, knowing this, I carried the <laughs> octopus amulet, which gave me 100 points of fire damage that didn't count. And, like, when the amulet is made, it has 100 points in it, and then, you know, whenever you take fire damage, you just take points off your octopus amulet. So I was like, I'll just buy a new one if it starts to run low. Like, this was my this was my fire insurance. And I was like, well, as long as I'm practically immune to fire, I might as well carry around a whole bunch of fire beads. And, you know, it came in freaking useful, because I then hit the troll with it. <laughs> he got that guy down real low, too. He was on, like, 20 hit points, but he didn't know that. Big explosion. Burned up most of my octopus amulet. Probably all of it. Did a lot of damage to the troll, and allowed me the opportunity to run. Oh, right, I remember, because what happened was I tripped, so I just curled over, and he tripped over me. <laughs> he ended up running back to the Juggernaut. And hiding inside its compartment. Mountain Troll, like, opened the compartment, reached in, grabbed Arnold, started to pull him out. And I was like, <laughs> stab! And dealt, like, the three damage necessary to kill him. <laughs> now at this point Skrunkdor had long killed his villain and was racing over to help him so the session just ended with Arnold standing on the juggernaut on the corpse of the mountain troll which I had single handedly defeated <laughs> that was a big monster and then I just climbed out still an orc remember in like a shitty orc wizard robe and I was like I'm the mage <laughs> Then, things went poorly for Arnold. <laughs> yeah, then, um... Jeez, the session after that, it turns out when you kill the leader of an army, the army doesn't disband. They had a second-in-command. 
They had a, an eldritch giant named Bootylicious. I think he might have been named by Sam as well. No, that was me. Okay. Don't worry. How can you always give me so much crap about my names when you named an eldritch giant Bootylicious? Because of friggin' awesome. Yeah. It tells you everything you need to know about the character right away. What does Arnold tell you? You had to explain to me that it was a Terminator reference. I thought it was a guy from Hey Arnold, or the guy from Happy Days. So, so was Bootylicious a bad racial stereotype? Hmm? So was Bootylicious a bad racial stereotype? No, Bootylicious was just incredibly fabulous. Okay. He wasn't even the most fabulous oh, guy right. that arc. Haikov doesn't use negative racial stereotypes. He only uses positive racial stereotypes. That's true. That's mm. in your campaigns. Except white people. Fuck white people. I know, right? Fuck Greg. White people white. invented polka. <laughs> and line dancing. It's like the only majority group I belong to anymore. And the airplane. <laughs> That's not true. You're sufficiently tall. Right? I don't know how tall you are. I guess I'm taller than average now. I was shorter than average before. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and I've shrunk half an inch, so there. <laughs> Add or remove metrics until your answer is correct. So, in other words, uh, Bootylicious became Skrunkdor's destined battle. And he did that by killing Skrunkdor. In a stand-up <laughs> fight in melee while Skrunkdor was being healed by the cleric. Yeah. It was, it was pretty severe. It was like, this guy was working for the other guy. Here's the thing. When Verba died... We got a new guy. Blake was like, I have a great idea. When Andrea died, Laura was like, I have a great idea. When Skrunktor died, Sam went, that was my great idea. Can we res Skrunktor? I said, yes, but resing is much harder. Because it should be. You can't you, just, you know, go to a temple and get nope. spend a thousand gold worth of diamond dust or whatever. You have to get his soul back from hell. And by hell, I mean the hell is represented in the Dune games. <laughs> So as distinct from hell, we called it Phobos. Like, I statted out doom monsters, and the players fought them. That was they fun. went, they pulled switches, they fought Keiko demons, they ran from cyber demons, because those mothers are terrifying. Oh yeah, that's true. I think I made an arcana check or something to be like, I know what that is. And I was like, what CR is that? He's like, oh, you know, 27. I'm like, hmm, we're going now. It might be 25. Your check wasn't that good. Uh, got Skrunktor's soul back so that we could reanimate his body. Who what were the other destined battles? Katri's father. Katri's father was a Yuan Ti abomination. Right. But the party quickly befriended him. Well, I mean his daughter worked for us. Right? Yeah. We were friends. They started off antagonistically, but by the end of the first conversation, they you know, had agreed not to butt heads. Even if they weren't totally on the same side, they were they were affable. So I don't know if you noticed, but I'm quickly running out of campaign villains. <laughs> Z had an enemy named Malfurious. Sam named that guy. Yeah. For those of you who don't know Latin, that means bad angry. <laughs> <laughs> it was short for Malcolm. <laughs> well, that, yeah, he named a Malfurious one word. I'm like, nah-uh, homie don't play that. His name is now Malcolm Furious. He is the patriarch of the Furious family. No, he was... He was the son of nope. the patriarch. No. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he was the son of the patriarch. Now, he was, was the scion. Specifically billed as a demon prince. Yes. And as the players got close to Malfurious, I kept saying, he's a demon prince. Just to remind them. Then we killed Princes him. Princes mean kings. Yeah. We killed him. And Tony Furious, demon An king. Anthony Furious. Anthony Furious. His friends call him Tony. Had an opinion. <laughs> We yeah. had this great, like, demon mafia thing going yep. on with those guys. A chaotic mafia. Well, what do you want from me? That, that Malfurious 
had a very uh, special layout. For one thing, uh, his um, his fortress was on the abyss, which meant to get there you had to go through the abyss. And the party is botched the abyss. Yeah, there are a lot of layers to the abyss. So instead, they had to get somebody who knew their way around the abyss. And so they met the Portalator, the world's most <laughs> effeminate death slot. <laughs> I think that the Portalator ran a shop of some kind. Tapestries. Oh, yeah. Well, tapestries and oddities. I think, I want to say in retrospect, I did that to annoy the players. The Portalator's yeah. first word was customers, and Sam about lost it. Yeah. That was like, oh no, it's a wacky NPC. Portalator was awesome. He was, he was a death slot. Yeah. Death slots are really terrifying. He would only help the party for an exchange of sufficiently weird gear. So they're like, I got a tooth. Is it your tooth? Maybe. Then no. Are you I, a hen? And this is where the gnome calculus thing comes in, because like I said, I knew that I had a demon bane gnome calculus. When we went to the abyss, I probably went to the, go- the guy and was like, hey, I need yep. a new gnome calculus. This one is a demon bane. So. But at some point, for whatever reason, I made a gnome bane gnome calculus. I guess I knew. We, I guess we were gonna fight a gnome or something. I, I don't know why I had it, but I was like, "Well, I got a gnome bane gnome calculus." He's like, "Are you kidding me? You have a racial weapon. You have a weapon invented specifically for a certain race that's bane against that race." <laughs> yeah, I want that. <laughs> Where do you want to go? Jeez, whose bathroom do you want to be in? <laughs> and before Arnold could answer, Scrumptor cut him off. There were a lot of good things that happened in session 19. Is that where we met the portalator? Sure. Yeah. I think so. Session 19 was when the players invaded Malfurious's inner sanctum. And there are a lot of stories here. Uh, the players eventually made it to a point where they had four portals. And it was clear that they had to defeat the guardians in each portal to progress on to Malcolm Furious. Yeah, it was, it was one of those, like, uh, Mega what, Man-esque. Yeah, what, what's the thing at the end of Mega Man called? The Mega Man. A boss rush? Boss rush, that, yeah. It was like the Mega Man boss rush. So, Skrunktor said, I'm going to go into the red one, because my color is red. Z said, I'm going to go into the red one, because Skrunktor will need help. Argerok said, I'm going to go into the red one, because that's where everyone else is going. Catrick said, I'm going to go to the red one, because that's my meat tank. And Arnold said, I'm going to go into the green one, because Blake controls me! <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not beholden to your laws. They just kind of assumed I was following them, and I went into the red portal, and I was like... I'm going to check out the green portal. Maybe we can cut out two things, like, at once. I had no idea what I was getting into. This was a bad idea for two reasons. One was that behind the red portal was a scorpion, which is the only insect the players fought that campaign. (laughs) (laughs) But two, in the other was an arrow demon I built custom to be the most terrifying archer at CR 16. Or 14, or whatever it was. This thing had deep wood sniper. And if you get that joke, you understand really more than you should. Um, Hykov is extremely proud of this monster. It's one of his favorite monsters that he's ever built. And the reason why is, of course, because it is ostensibly fair. I followed all the rules. (laughs) Dungeons & Dragons presumed to assign numbers to as complicated a thing as... Monsters with prestige, with class levels that then qualify them for prestige class levels. Prestige classes meant for players. Well, that's not even what was scary. I also advanced its hit dice, which go on different rules. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And follow all the rules, and you get a CR whatever. How much damage did he do? Uh, she. She, right. Uh, enough. 
I think in her first round, she knocked Arnold to two from full. Yeah. And there was no party to back him up. Yeah. So it was him. I also couldn't just go back through the door. That was the other thing. I assumed that if I stuck my nose in there and got into trouble, I could just jump back through the door again. Nope. The door closes and you have to beat the boss. This is not the last time Portals ringed Blake this campaign. Um, Now, it was in a jungle, so he hid. And he was good at that. I ran and hid, (laughs) turned myself into a fern, and just cowered, knowing that if she ever came across me... And so she's, like, creeping through the trees, like, catcalling me, like, Come out, little wizard! I know you're there! I know I just shot you in the neck! And you probably (laughs) turned into a fern! You're a wizard or a druid! (laughs) In the other room, the party was fighting a colossal fireproof scorpion. Killed it. It dropped a key. Skrunkdor took off all his clothes, which is a thing Skrunkdor does. The first time Skrunkdor went to um, swim in lava, because lava's just orange water that hurts you, uh, he, I said, all right, you can jump in, but your gear is not fireproof. It'll just burn away. He said, all right, I stripped naked. I said, that went poorly. <laughs> I've seen the error of my ways. <laughs> <laughs> and it became kind of a recurring thing. I, I feel the, as though... Uh... The next time they went into town... No, it wasn't. It was at the beginning of disc three. I'm really confident it was at okay. the beginning of disc three. Um, the, that Shrunktor's player's sister, who was playing Z, turned to me and said, Can I get some fireproof pants for Shrunktor? Yes! <laughs> How much do they cost? A hundred gold, I've looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> so Shrunktor was busy uh, stripping to his skivvies to go and get the key. The rest of the party ran back through the portal. And I mean sprinted. As in, they started a move action, ran through the portal. Because they, you know, they were all at the same table. They knew what was going on. Yeah, it was just flagrant abuse of out of context They ran through the portal, ended up in the room where all of the NPCs accompanying the party just pointed to the green portal. We were leading like two dozen people at the time. And Argerok, at the speed of Blake's in trouble, looked around the room, assessed that Arnold was gone, that everyone was pointing at the portal. Arnold must have gone through the portal. He's probably in trouble. Barrel right in, ready to fight. (laughs) <laughs> and then came Katri, and then came Z, all doing the same thing. And Katri and Ardrock died almost immediately. Yeah. Ardrock like, came one round, one, uh, two round. And took an arrow to the face that was for more than his max HP. I think I crit him. Right. Which for me was a times five crit. And she was really good at critting, too. She also fired, like, four arrows a turn or something like that? Uh, I think it was nine. Nine? <laughs> it, might, it might have only been eight. Right. But they, you know, crit on a 15, crit for times five... So third Sneak attack damage. Which was great, because he was immune to most of that stuff. Yeah, that was That's the why he part. survived. <laughs> but... Ardrog was not so lucky. Matt didn't, and my wife didn't. So... Two players died because I split the party. So there went Argerok's uh, destined villain, too. Yeah. Thanks. Eventually, We're... Z came in, pulled out her long sword, and challenged the demon to a straight-up fight. Because this was the lawful good cleric from the Plane of Law. And I guess the College of Good. She came down, challenged the demon to a straight up fight that the demon took. I actually think that she had an AC thing going on. I think the demon shot her and it didn't work. Just so she had to close the melee. Yeah. Because Z was full plate. There's no, there's no danger she ran out of arrows, is there? That's possible, but unlikely. Because my AC was really, really high too. She did not hit me on the first try. In fact, for a certain period there, I imagine I was blithely imagining myself immune to this arrow demon, where it's like, plink, 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 hit, <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. Finally, I rolled above a seven. What? 
Yeah, that, that, that's, that would be a very high cove moment. But they got it into... Z got close enough to distract the arrow demon. So Arnold could sneak up behind her, take his demon bane calculus... But remember, it's a sling, so it's a leather strap with a pocket. Wrap it around like a garrote and start strangling the demon <laughs> yeah. for 2d6 bonus damage around. I jumped up on her back and wrapped that thing around her neck and I just squeezed. <laughs> and while she was grappled, Z just started stabbing. <laughs> if you remember the, uh, the story from uh, Nate's pretentious NPC campaign, this was not the first time I found myself in this position, trying to choke a bad guy way too badass for us out, while the he- party healer stabbed them in the gut. <laughs> so that monster died. Um, Trunktor. Trunktor came back in, he's like, alright, what's going on? Huh. Yeah. Well, we don't want them back. Uh, uh, Matt decided he wanted a new character, Laura was graduating, we didn't see any need to bring the corpses back and go to Phobos again. Uh, also, we, did, we didn't want her corpse to be easily found by her dad. I remember we had a concern about that. Oh, that's true. Then he would become a campaign villain. Yeah. The, um, I also, at that point, revealed to Z and Skrunkdor my true nature. Because I was hanging by a thread. I was almost literally cut in half. He was at, like, straight up two hit points and could not be healed. Yep. You also, repaired. Yep. as a construct, at zero, you are gone but gone but gone forever. Wish or miracle by virtue of time rewinding, can bring you back. And that's the end of the list. There is no afterlife for constructs. So, what happened was that the yellow portal and the blue portal changed significantly. There was no longer a monster in the blue portal. It became a, would you like to be the blue portal demon? Inquire within. <laughs> and the yellow portal demon ended up being Matt's new character. Junk. Just, yeah, let's get something out of the way. This character's name is Jank. <laughs> J-H-A-N-K. Jank. He pronounced it Jank, but no one was fooled. He was a kobold, panther, raised by Goliaths. <laughs> All very important. Kobold <laughs> meant that he could take certain feats that let him spoof sorcerer spellcasting, which he could use to buff certain attacks with his Goliath Great Hammer, which is how he explained his ability to use that, and the panther gave him stat buffs. He was a rogue, I, I, ranger, I, I, multi-class. If, if you if you see it, audience at home, if you if you could see the look on my face right now, oh, it's it's a thing of beauty. It's Picasso esque. <laughs> Matt is good at making characters. No, that's not what that is. Matt is good at making builds. Yes, that's okay, what that is. is. Anyway, <laughs> he was making characters. This was not one of them. He was the guardian of that room. We Ambrose walked in there. Good, huh? Mm. Ambrose is pretty good. The character he was he played that I saw most recently. Mm. Was that in the campaign I was in? Uh, no, no, it's no, uh, it the one after. Online. You've never met Matt. Oh, I thought this was. Oh, why am I? This is I'm Matt confusing him with someone else. He only telecommutes to High Ghost yeah, campaigns okay. these days. He's married and lives in. He's he's the guy who DMs with Int. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Actually, the last character I saw him play was Juju David Bowie. He chose his character portrait poorly, but the character was very good. Robust backstory, ties to other NPCs, hooks. Great. He can build characters. His character's name was Jank. This to this day we 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 uh, sometimes just say out of blue cobalt panther raised by Goliath. <laughs> You're expected to join in halfway through, <laughs> like wine for my men, beer for my horses. And if you get that joke, get out. <laughs> Dead to me. Um, then they fought Malfurious, and everything was great. Mm-hmm. So then the party decided 
we've beaten all of our villains, or died enough that most of our villains are not relevant. Let's go fight the campaign villain. Let's go fight Tirkosa. And they did. They fought Tirkosa and his friends. He brought in Tony Furious, who had a problem with the people who killed his son. They brought in Bootylicious, who has a proven track record against the party, something no one else can claim. Uh, they brought in the liquid metal guy who was like the concierge for Nelthar's museum, who was apparently supposed to be my rival. He was like my brother, the other construct guy. How dare you usurp my role as his right-hand man. They brought in Nail, the guy whose throat Arnold slit behind a rock half an hour of podcast ago. He, uh, he was like, and Nail, who you guys sent to jail from the Linear Guild. And I was like, no, we didn't. I killed him. Oh, and no, I go, no, you didn't. Sam did. Right. Sam said, no, he killed him. What? No, you guys sent him to jail. No. Uh, Arnold said we sent him to jail, but he just took him behind a rock and slit his throat. And Blake and I just looked at each other. I was like, that sounds like something I would do. I'm like, well, we'll solve it in post. So now it was Nail Lich. <laughs> and the portalator for reasons he was uh I, oh yeah he cause cause um Laura was gone so we were down yeah. to just four. Oh, and Sligan the unfortunate yep who was angry at junk for betraying the the party mm-hmm. like you were supposed to protect Malcolm Furious mm-hmm. so they, don't they, kill him they had a fight there. There was a, there was a reasonable connection, though it wasn't the connection that Hygrope was hoping for. It was... A bunch of things happened in that fight. The only one I remember is that the clerics saw things were unsolvable and cast Disintegrate. Or ah. Destruction. It was one of them. And just flat out killed the liquid metal guy. Yeah. Yeah, she just... And you, you can't bring them back, because it's a construct. Yeah. And everybody around the room was okay with it, because they knew it was a desperate fight, but that broke the seal. Didn't Han- Hannah not know? I think she did. Okay. The way I remember... We've been DMing for two semesters at that point. The more entertaining... Yeah, that's true. There's no way she didn't know. But the more entertaining way that I remember the story is that Sam had played with Hykov a number of times. I had played with Hykov a number of times. His wife had obviously played with him a number of times. Matt had. Yeah. We all knew... Right. Yeah, Laura wasn't there. I'm saying Matt had played with him even more times than I had. That we all knew that Hykov has this rule about save or die spells. He really hates save or die or save or die spells. They're it's just lazy difficulty. Yeah, they're just not in his. Read this link at my blog. Yeah, in his feeling, they're not fun, um, and they shouldn't be used. But he's not going to let the party use them and then not use them himself. So the rule is that there's an unspoken deal: party doesn't break out save or dies. The monsters don't break out save or dies. Nobody has to save against dying. And this includes soft saber dies, like paralyzed for 3d8 minutes. Uh, yeah. Because then person. you're out of the fight. That's just, that's it. Right. Or worse yet, actually dead, because someone goes over and coup de grace you. Yeah. Uh, coup de grace. Stabs. Coup de graces. Yeah, there you go. Coup de gracie. There you go. So. <clears throat> it's okay, everyone says it wrong. So Z pulls destruction out and just blows my destined battle away. I was like, it's okay, it wasn't really personal for me anyway. I liked him. I got off like two attacks that campaign. Uh, and then everyone else is like, uh-oh. The portalator is like, I feel as though some limitation on my powers has mysteriously lifted. And just flat up clapped, implosion, killed the cleric. Yeah. <laughs> implosion, by the way, is particularly terrifying. Because 
most savor die spells as a construct I am immune to because I'm immune to anything that requires a fortitude save unless it also works on objects. Implosion is like the spell specifically designed... Well, also disintegrate. Or whatever spell she used to kill the liquid metal guy. Yeah. The point is, I saw that implosion go off and I was like, Frick, 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 frick! I, I, I had to make sure that the portalator somehow was did not think I was his problem. I needed everyone else to get imploded first. Because I was like... Because, <laughs> you know, they could survive it. I couldn't. Implosion has duration. It's kill a bro every round. Oh, right, that's what makes it different than Disintegrate. It's yeah. not a one-shot Yeah, effect. it's not one-shot. We're it's concentration. Boom. You, 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 yep. you, you, yeah. Start sucking people into your little black hole. So, that's how the healer died. And then everyone else died, too. <laughs> everyone. I took damage exactly equal to my HP. Like, not one more, not one less. Well, that's all you need. Yep. Yep, that's exactly how much it took. Complete TPK. Thus ended Disc 2. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.